Comments made on the Ceratalk Podcast Network are those of the individuals and do not represent Ceratech Corporation, its staff, management, board of directors, or third-party resellers. It's time for High Contrast here on SPN. I am Rodney Edgar of TechAccessWeekly.com, and this is the show where we try to talk about things that are geared towards the low vision, the people that are kind of stuck between the seeing and not seeing, if you want to put it that way. Today, we have a band of characters to try and give us an idea of what they think about tech and non-tech. Today, we are joined to my left by Jeremy Curry of GW Micro. Hey, Mr. Rodney, what's happening? Uh, Not much, other than this podcast that we are trying to record. (laughs) And now we have special fill-in for Mari, uh, who is having technical difficulties, sadly. Uh, So we are pleased with the wonderful and talented Joe Steinkamp of Saratalk. Hello, I am nowhere near as informative or as pretty as Maury. Oh, next topic. The <laughs> Ding, no. Okay, so we're going to start out with the hot topic of the month of October, which is the fact that Windows 8 was released, which also brought us the wonderful Windows RT tablet and a bunch of confusion as far as what's accessible, what's not accessible. And I'm going to just say, so Jeremy Curry, since you did a special back in July, what do you think? Yeah. Uh, okay, so, moving right along. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely summation. One, one word. It sums it all up very, very well. You know, it would would you would you care to elaborate on that? <laughs> it's out there. It's um not a lot different than what we saw in July, unfortunately. So we've still got usability issues. We've still got other things that need to be resolved. Apps need more accessibility in them. My general consensus is if you can get a Windows 7 machine, say with Windows 7 for right now. But, you know, if you have to go with Windows 8, it's somewhat usable. But the interface, I think, is still just very clunky and uh, has a long way to go. It, it does provide some consistency across various Microsoft platforms. But I think as we're likely to see, I, I'm not sure it's going to be as successful as they would like to see it. There was lots of concern about trying to bring a mobile platform to a desktop platform because the two just don't seem to intermix. And I think that that's probably going to be a an issue that continues to plague Windows 8 as long as it's out until, you know, whatever comes out next, Windows 9 or whatever they decide to call it. And it's a learning curve, but Microsoft's going to have to do something with it. I mean, they have to continue to keep their PC base, but they also have to grow their mobile base, which they've not done a good job with. And uh, this was their concept to do it. I'm not sure it's a winner. That's my personal opinion. <laughs> I find Windows 8 a uh, party of anachronisms and contradictions. It is an operating system that feels very revision one. And mm-hmm. it also feels like it's a step up from the ribbon interface. So if you were not a big fan of the ribbon interface, there's a lot not for you to like here. So you have a lot of the buttons and uh, places where there are multiple buttons. So you can't necessarily arrow left and right. If you're a keyboard navigation user, this is going to cause you a lot of pain at first until you kind of learn your way around it. And no, there is no way to go back to the menus you know and love. Not without using things that could possibly break windows in ways that you can't control. So I'm not a big fan of the whole classic shell or 
get your start menu back, you know, that kind of thing, because it can actually do more harm than good. Because if something breaks, you don't know what broke. Was it the app you used to fix quote unquote windows, or was it actually a windows eight issue? And Jeremy's right. I have an Xbox 360, so I get to see these lovely tiles on that now. I have access to Windows phones, and so I've seen that there, and I've seen the Surface, and of course it's all over the Surface, and that's kind of where we start to understand Microsoft's thinking, though. It could be, and this has happened before with Windows, that they're in for the long game. They are shooting for the interface of the future. And what I mean by that is my wife and I went to a Sam's. And by the way, there were only like two Windows 7 computers. So if you're going to go the route that was just suggested, you might want to go grab a copy now or go go, go get an OEM copy from Newegg really, really quick because Windows 7 will get harder and harder to find. But there was a giant Windows 8 display using the new Dell computer that Dell has a XPS system that has a touchscreen That looks a lot like, or tries to look a lot like an iMac. The thing is, is that it has all over these signs that says, touch me, try me. And my wife has been using Windows 8 with me this whole last year while we've been developing software for it. And for her, she was not a fan of it until she could touch the interface. When she learned that she could touch and manipulate those tiles, it made a lot more sense to her because the tiles were larger They gave her relevant information because they're live tiles, because they're always dynamic. They're telling you how many updates you have. They give you an idea if somebody's online. They tell you how many emails they have with a little number in them. So for her, it made a lot of sense. And then when I showed her about the hotspots, because there's different things you can do in each corner of a touchscreen with Windows 8 or swipe to the right to get to the charms bar, it made a heck of a lot more sense. It was very transformative. Now, this is, again, like I said, nothing different because... There was a term back in the Vista days, and Jeremy will remember this, Vista capable, Vista Mm -hmm. compatible, and Vista ready. Vista ready, yep. Yep. And what happened was that a lot of the features of Vista didn't work on older hardware. They worked on newer hardware. And as newer hardware came out, people started to realize, okay, this isn't as bad as I've heard. Because a lot of the enthusiasts tried to make a square peg fit in a round hole. And that's kind of where we're at with Windows 8. I don't think we'll be able to tell whether Windows 8 is a success or not until six months or a year down the line because hardware has to catch up. And that's where I think we're at. As soon as Windows has more ubiquity in touchscreens that every new computer has a touchscreen on it or the ability to turn into a tablet or vice versa, then I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think that's where the usability comes in. But if you're trying to come at this from a regular classic last 25 years paradigm of keyboard versus mouse, you're in for a world of hurt. That's why I'm sort of sitting here going, I'm not really upgrading to Windows 8 because I'm using a PC that's two and a half years old. I don't have touch. I don't have anything like that. And I don't want to have to try and figure out a whole bunch of new shortcut keys and things and just deal with the frustration. I guess if I had a secondary PC here, I probably would install it and try to do some different things with it, but it's just not worth it. And it's not like iOS or macOS where it benefits you to have the latest version of the macOS or iOS. It's in Apple's best interest to do that for tech support reasons, not because they're giving you a quote unquote uh, free or cheaper version of the OS. No, it's, it's definitely in Apple's wheelhouse to make sure that you're on the latest version of things and to make that available to you because it does a value add and makes you want to spend another $1,200 or more on the next Apple product. But windows is like cell phones. 
you generally don't upgrade until you get your next PC or your next cell phone. And so the fact that they sold 4 million copies of Windows 8 upgrades in three days is really just for enthusiasts. I don't know that that number will continue. And they're for developers like us and for people who are really, really into Windows. And there are Windows fanboys. I know that's hard for people to believe, but there were people lining up for the Microsoft Surface. Now, let's talk about that confusion you mentioned before. There is Windows RT, Windows 8, Windows 8 Pro, and Windows 8 Surface RT. Now, let's put that into some kind of context. There's a tablet out there that runs on the ARM processor, and the ARM processor is a not like an Intel, not like what you would know in your PC. It's a chip that's made to run mobile operating systems. It has a lot to do with power consumption and making your phone or tablet live a lot longer on a battery. This version of Windows RT has been designed to work with that ARM processor. And by that, it means it's a cheaper tablet than what you might see on store shelves. It only runs what's called the Windows Store apps. And by that, it is the touch interface apps. It's the ones that are designed with all those new crazy tiles that we were talking about a second ago. There is a desktop, but it's not like the desktop you know from what you're using with your computer now to listen to us with, or possibly on your mobile device. The thing about that is that it also comes with Office 2013. So you do get Office Suite in there. And you can, not to make this more confusing, stick a keyboard and a mouse on there and still get to some classic Windows things. Like you can still do Windows R and get to the run prompt. You can still be able to do command prompt and and certain keyboards and type in it. Because the idea that Microsoft is looking at is that you can use this almost like a laptop. It's just smaller and easier. In fact, they have two types of connectors. So there's the touchpad typing interface and the actual keyboard-ish kind of interface where you actually are pressing physical keys. And there's magnets so you can slide them onto the Windows RT tablet and be able to do a lot of this stuff. Now, with that said, there is Windows 8, which is like the version of Home. You might know it as Home Premium or something like that. And Windows 8 Pro, which you're familiar with as well, because that's more of the professional version that has some updates to it and has a lot more of the Windows RT kind of feeling to it with touch. And then there's Surface Pro RT. You following me? It's almost like an Android podcast. Anyway, what happens is that you can use all that stuff I told you about on the ARM processor, and then you have an actual traditional Windows 8 desktop. And you can actually run programs like ZoomText or Window Eyes or System Access or things like that on the Windows 8 desktop in a traditional PC style fashion. And yes, that does come in a tablet. Now that hasn't shipped at the time that we're recording that actually ships in January. So we don't know what that's going to be like yet or what the experience is going to be, but there are some windows PCs with touchscreen shipping. Now I'm thinking of the, uh, Lenovo yoga and a couple from Acer. And of course the big Dell PC one that I mentioned earlier that you can find at Sam's. Yeah, it's definitely very geared towards touch. You know, one of the interesting things I heard was Bill Gates out there preaching since I guess he's still on the board that they were going to, continue to remember mouse and keyboard users since that's like a majority of everyone using this platform. It always has been. But um, yet if you look at some of the dialogues that come up, like for example, I was copying and pasting a big file across our network. And so there's this dialogue that comes up with a progress bar and some other controls. 
and I'm tabbing around it and I had just enough vision to notice, well, there are some other controls there. Well, you can't tab to any of them. And then if you arrow to them, you have to know when to arrow to them after you've tabbed to them. And then they do some other funky things that doesn't allow you to access them again after you've already done that. And so it's very non-intuitive. Also, it's cumbersome is what I've found it to be. And I think there's a, a long ways to go. So I think Joe's right in that the hardware has to catch up. But I think the biggest problem is they've taken this concept that's completely foreign to a desktop environment and just tried to cram it in there. And we've got all these people who are only using the keyboard and mouse. Nearly, what, maybe 1% of us have any type of touchscreen. And then if you do have a touchscreen, it likely doesn't meet the requirements of the Windows 8 touchscreen. So, for example, we have a touchscreen here that we use with some of our equipment, and we wanted to test it with Narrator because Narrator does have a better voice and, and some improvements. But if you connect a touchscreen that doesn't have the required amount of touch points, which I think is four, if I remember correctly, our touchscreen monitor that's been around for maybe only a year or so has two touch points on it. So if you connect that touchscreen monitor to your Windows 8 PC, not only will Narrator not function with it, Narrator will just shut down and say, sorry, we can't run because your monitor doesn't support us. And so that creates another access issue in and of itself simply because the hardware isn't there. And it's because of this forcing this platform that's really something totally separate than what Windows has always been to each and every one of us out there in the market. So we see lots of issues that are going to be because of this hardware. We're going to see accessibility issues because of that, I think. We're going to see just general usage issues. And um, I guess to comment on some of the stuff with accessibility, you know, there is better narrator. Magnifier's not a whole lot different. There are better voices. We have David, and then uh, I can never remember the female voice's name on this one. So and you have a keyboard, um, hotkey, so you can do Windows Enter to be able to bring up narrator. And there's actually a way to do yeah. that on the surface as well. So you actually have a hardware way to turn voice on. So if you're in a store, you can drive the guy at Best Buy nuts by turning on all the speech, which is great. <laughs> And a tip on Narrator, if you go into settings, make sure that you put a checkbox in read under pointer, because that'll give you a better idea of the type of ways that Narrator is grabbing text when moving your mouse around. So if you want to kind of simulate and get an idea how some of that stuff is reading the way that Jeremy was just explaining, like those boxes, it works a lot better if you can actually read from pointer. Mm-hmm. And so that does have some better access to it. I noted there was a um, article that the uh, RNIB had put out, and uh, that's the Royal National Institute for the Blind in England, in case people were curious. And in that article, they noted that one of the dialogues that comes up when you turn on narrator is, is it says, this is not a full-blown screen reader. You may need a screen reader for other things. So it's, it's not meant to be like a, a voiceover. There's still a large need for third-party AT, including lots of things. We've seen some AT already start to come to uh, support Windows 8, and we've seen some AT, particularly magnifiers, that don't yet support Windows 8. I know it's on their list of things to do, but in this instance, it actually seems like blind users probably have better access to Windows 8 at this point than low vision users, which is usually not the case. No, and there's still the ability to do your Windows coloring, like high contrast themes and black on white and, and stuff like that. There's still all your yeah. accessibility issue, uh, excuse me, all your accessibility options in IE 10. So you have Internet Explorer 10 by default. 
But unless you really want to have a touchscreen experience, unless you really want to have the latest and greatest in uh, security and some other features that are working within Windows 8, this is not something that you got to have or run right out and have. Again, it might be something that you just kind of upgrade yourself into. And driver support is very much the key here. I'm sitting right next to an AMD ATI laptop, which is maybe four years old, that has no video support whatsoever in Windows 8. My six-year-old Dell with NVIDIA actually does. So you're going to have a lot of driver support issues if you're trying to take an older box. And I really would not try to take any box over three years old into Windows 8. It is just, again, something that's going to become very, very difficult because it is not in the best interest to provide you stable drivers. They want you to buy a new computer. And and that's generally how people do it is they buy a new computer. Now, you must be sitting there thinking to yourself, my gosh, Who would ever want to buy this thing? Well, just remember that 640 million copies of Windows 7 has been sold to date of this recording, and they expect to sell at least 100 million, if not a little more, in the first year to 18 months of Windows 8, and they probably will do that because of the security thing. There are going to be a lot of government and major companies who like the ability to lock down these devices and provide better security within their own infrastructure. There's a term called bring your own device or BYOD. Mm-hmm. And what that usually meant was that you brought in your Android tablet or your iPad or on and on and on. Well, IT guys don't like that because they can't control those devices. iPads save up to iCloud. That's a bit of a problem. Android until version 4.2, you couldn't do a virtual private network or VPN. So for a corporate user, this was really bad. But they can control a lot of the experience. They can group policy, a Windows 8 tablet. And so there's a lot of people who are going to move to this and just take the hit on the training. And remember that you've also got a lot of future tech that's going to go into this. If you want to use Office 2013, you're Windows 7 and up. If you want to be able to use IE10, you're Windows 7 and up. So if you are an older computer user in that your operating system is Vista or below, you really do have to think about making the jump. And if you're Windows XP, well, that's even worse because Windows XP support stops in April of 2014. And I would not advise anybody be on Windows XP past that point because the virus guys are going to go after that operating system like no tomorrow. And they're going to get through like Swiss cheese. You know, you brought up the BYOD thing, which I think is kind of an interesting turn of events, I guess, or or difference in IT than it used to be. It used to be you go to work and this is the thing you're going to get rather than yeah. bring your own device. You know, they do have the new thing, which I think may or may not be successful. I don't know, the Windows to go stick, which is basically, oh, right. yeah, like the it's a USB device that has its own Windows on it. So you go to work, you take your own device, you take your personal laptop, you plug in this USB stick, and you're running all the security, just their Windows, none of your stuff. You can't access your own personal computer. You take it out. And then you're accessing everything on your personal computer. That's kind of a cool idea. I don't know how successful it's going to be, but it's a cool idea. We'll go a little further because with Office 2013, you can actually log into a server and then have Office stream down to you. So hypothetically, you could log into a computer at work. You could bring all your GW stuff with you. And then if you needed to go into Office or do a document or SharePoint or something, you could actually, even if that computer doesn't have Office 2013 on it, it would stream it right then and there from the Microsoft server. When you reboot, it's kind of gone. And that's also very interesting. And it says a lot that Microsoft is moving from the tradition that we've understood, which is 
every three years, here's a new version of Windows and Office. No, they're moving to more of a devices and services company. They're rebranding everything with Xbox because Xbox is a very popular brand. So no more Zoom or Windows Live, much of anything. In fact, Windows Live Messenger is going to be faded into Skype. So -hmm. you're going to see a lot of things be moved into one another in the Windows world to maximize what they've already had success with. And that's going to be a little confusing at first too. And it's going to take a little bit of time. And like any version of Windows, it takes about three to six months for it to kind of settle down and go through all the patches. And so like with Apple, and we'll talk about that in a minute, you probably don't want to buy the first gen of anything, be it Android, Apple, about the whatever. third one, because <laughs> well, the third one, <laughs> yes, the third generation might be a problem as well. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, um, Rodney has a limited edition iPad third generation. Um, it, it is a uh, very rare, actually we should probably move into that story. Um, because there is a new iPad four and a new iPad mini talking about tablets. What do we think about this gents? Well, the iPad mini just doesn't make any sense to me because it has a lower resolution screen. It's pretty much a mix mash of parts from all over the Apple universe. Seems like, you know, different processor, different camera, different, all this stuff. And it's only an inch and a half smaller than the big iPad. Is it really that much different? I haven't seen one actually, so it's kind of, eh, it's like Windows RT. I don't see it being useful other than being akin a few months from now. Oh, you, you know, I went to Best Buy the and kin. It's 30 awful. day phone. That was nice. Uh, 49. Look up it made it to 49. <laughs> it made true. it to 49. <laughs> wow. I went to Best Buy and saw one of these in person because I was a bit skeptical at first too. And while I don't think I would use one, I think it'd be the perfect candidate for my wife because it fits in her purse. It's still almost as big as the other one, but not quite. It's smaller. It's mini, if you will. And um, it would seem to do a really, really good job for her. For me, I I don't know what the point would be. But I don't know if they're targeting a a more specific audience or if they're really targeting like the e-reader audience with the Kindle Fire, which I know they literally came under fire, no pun intended, Uh for um, having a price point that was (laughs) $329 instead of, you know, $199 or $249 or something in that arena. But um, I think they're targeting those book readers. Maybe they're targeting the female segment. I don't know. I just looked at it and I thought my wife would absolutely love this versus a regular iPad. It's not quite as expensive and it's a lot smaller. But for me, eh, I don't think so. I'm with you on that, Rodney. I don't see the advantage for me. I have some issues about the mini. Now, most of all, because I'm sitting next to an iPad 1 and (laughs) I saw that kind of got voted off the island 18 months into its life. And again, Anytime Apple does something, and this feels very much like them sticking a toe in the water, like we're not sure it's going to sell. We've got all these parts left over from all this other stuff we do at Foxconn. (laughs) Let's just slap it all together and come out with this thing that everybody tells us we need to do. Because the Nexus 7 is really starting to sell well, and we probably should be in that 7-inch market. Because lo and behold, Android might have gotten it right in that people want a smaller tablet you can hold in your hand. Where I think the iPad larger, see what I did there? Uh, What I think the iPad senior (laughs) did right is that you can get an 8 by 11 sheet of paper that talks. You can turn voiceover on. You can get an idea about formatting because voiceover works really well in that situation. And I like my iPad in landscape a lot more if I'm going to watch Netflix. That size does come into play if you're 
I don't know, 4X user or higher if that's where you put yourself. Whereas my Nexus 7, which I own, is a smaller font, is a little bit less screen real estate. I don't necessarily enjoy watching movies on it as much. I do, but the only advantage is having true 16 by 9 because on the iPad mini, you have the ability not to have the black bars if apps have been made that way to use them. And (laughs) I really think that buying this, you're just going to hate yourself by May when they come out with another freaking iPad mini that has GPS in it, like the Nexus 7. That has Retina, like the Nexus 7. That has a quad-core A6, you know, or whatever it is by then. (laughs) Um, Because to be honest with you, this is just a scaled-down iPad 2. You bring out a really good point there, Joe, which is that, uh, I know you've talked about this quite a bit, is the industry's really in flux. Microsoft's not sure where to go. Now that Steve Jobs is gone, they don't have any direction at Apple. So they're all just trying to figure out, you know, what should we do? Stick our toe in the water. Does this work? Uh, Nope. Let's try something else. Mm -hmm. Does this work? Mm -hmm. Nope. Something else, and it's everywhere. And if rumors are to be believed, at the time of this recording, there's talk of an iPhone 5S by the middle of the year, if not sooner, and that Apple is moving to no longer these monolithic yearly updates. They're just going to increase these updates and squat them out even faster. So in a way, they kind of devalue the brand. They're no longer the boutique. They're no, no longer the thing you save and aspire to. I have the iPhone 5. Ha ha ha. And that I think hurts because now you're getting into what we get on that Android show, which is which one do I buy? Which is the best one for me? What is the right screen size? What does this one have that the other mm-hmm. one has? And eye fragmentation is real. You know, there's a thing about McDonald's. When you go in, you choose the number one, the number two, the number three. A Big Mac is a Big Mac is a Big Mac. And with eye devices, It was kind of like that for a while. Now, there's a lot of craziness between what's in a 5, what's in a 4S, what's in a 4. What iOS 6 Mm -hmm. can do on this device, what iOS 6 can do on that device, and what it can't do over here on this $329 to start 7-inch tablet, which is $29 more than the iPhone 5-looking iPod. And that, by the way, that that iPod over there is Retina. So, (laughs) what? You talked about Microsoft having confusing moments. Both are very hard, and it's going to be very difficult for someone to go into Best Buy and rely on the guy behind the counter who is probably just there for the holidays to tell you what really you should buy for you or your family. Yeah, the iPad basically upgraded the processor, which is definitely going to help with uh, voiceover and Zoom combinations. I do notice now that everybody's talked about the four, you know, now I notice that, oh, yeah, uh, voiceover does get a little slow and everything when you're trying to use zoom at the same time, but I don't really use the combination that much. And it's got the new connector, which is proprietary. It has security to it. Supposedly they're not going to give it out to all the little Taiwanese makers out there to come out with the $2 version on Amazon, you know, so you have I mean, to trade in your did, BMW though, to get that new hardware connector dock, you know, that you have to remove that whole glow, you know, <laughs> take this whole drive shaft off and put on this new dashboard. You know, <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's one of those areas where to me, it seems like they're trying to make what everybody is wanting. And then Microsoft to tie it back to the other thing is, is that they're trying to become a mobile device maker. And they're thinking, you know, if I make windows look like the phone, everything will be great. And it's probably like everything is going to sort of become a flattened sandwich, a Cuban sandwich. Here's if you the problem would. with that thought. No one told you where App Switcher was, right? 
Or did you have to learn from somebody to double click the home button to get the app switcher? That is uh, not actually, something I did that it. Is, I did okay. it by accident, so, but you know, so that's uh, something that you either learn or have someone teach you. And I think that's what Microsoft is saying that you don't know that the charms bar is there, but if you accidentally move your thumb over there to the right side and bring up the charms menu, you go, Oh, true. I get it. And if you swipe from the bottom, you do this. And if you touch a corner, it does this. So I think Microsoft is in the terrible position of trying to have its cake and eat it too. They want legacy and they want the new customer. What Apple is in the position of is saying, we already got you. It's just how many times will you buy the same thing over and over and over and over again? You know, do you want the iPod touch? Do you want it in a four inch screen? Do you want it in a 9.7 inch screen? Or how'd you like this one over here? It's a little blurrier, but it's smaller and it fits in your purse. You know, that's where Apple is because they're saying that you love them so much that you will buy anything that comes down the pike. The problem is, is that tablets are not something you buy regularly. And the fact that my household has more than two tablets is a rarity. And you're not going to replace that every two years or maybe every three years more than likely. And that's a danger because at some point you'll hit saturation in tablets. Whereas the phone is a built-in thing. You know, the contracts, there's already the idea that the minute I buy this, the next one's coming out. And so in two years, I'm ready to upgrade and I want that new big shiny object. You don't have that with tablets. And that's the problem that Apple has, which is they've sold 100 million iPads already. How many they sell again is kind of going to be interesting. And Microsoft is looking at it from, if you have Windows and you learn this operating system and you learn these tiles, you're going to feel comfortable in anything we do. And Apple's trying to come at it the other way. Apple's trying to make Mac act like iOS, where Microsoft turned around and just squished them together. So each one of these is coming at it mm-hmm. from a very different standpoint. Now, the Nexus 7 is good for accessibility because you have Jelly Bean, which is the far better screen reader in Android. It is usable. You can use swipes to go back and forth. It's being updated all the time. Talkback is. The Android operating system is. And if you're looking for something to begin to learn Android with, this is better than getting a phone. Because with a phone, you're going to live with that for two years. You better be happy for your choice there. Whereas if you want to start to learn what's new about Android or what's good about Android, for $200 to start, you're getting a 7-inch tablet that is pretty usable, that is okay to use with low vision, that's okay to use with speech. It's something you can use within the family. It is got navigation in it because it's got GPS automatically. There are Wi-Fi's and the ability to add 3G or slash LTE versions. And it's a great device to begin to decide if you even want to try and get into the world of Android. And I recognize that, you know, not everybody wants to play with this, but you have to understand that iDevices are mostly a United States thing. Outside the United States, Android dominates. And we would be remiss on this show if we didn't say you don't want to put your eggs in one basket no matter what it is, be it Mac, Windows, whatever. To be a viable person in today's business world, you kind of have to be able to know a little bit about both or the ability to learn where that accessibility stuff is and get tutorials and learn how to use that. Because like what Rodney was saying, one day you'll come in and there'll be a box on your desk and it could be, well, we got rid of Blackberries. We're all Windows phones now, you know. And you don't have any choice in some employment situations. So the good news is, is that we've got more choice than ever before. And there are ways for us to learn about these devices. And I think that's what's exciting here because we've done a lot of doom and gloom, but there's a lot of good stuff too. Yeah, true. Well, now that we have talked about Windows 8, Apple Minis, 
Android tablets and all the such to blow your mind completely. Now we're going to take a short little break and then we're going to come back with a app review for iOS called Punch Quest, which is free on the iTunes store by Joe Steinkamp. You're listening to High Contrast on SPN. People think saving money is hard, but really it's easy. It's as simple as changing a few spending habits. For free tips on how to save the easy way, check out feedthepig.org. That's feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Hey everyone, Joe Steinkamp back with you to talk about my newest, favoritest, awesomest app ever. No, I'm not kidding. This one I really, really, really do like more than some of the others. Now we've talked about Jetpack Joyride and how much I really like that game. Well, this game from Rocket Cat, I love that name too, actually takes what I've learned from Jetpack Joyride and makes it better, really better, in that I can actually beat things up. So Jetpack Joyride, for those who don't remember, is what's called an auto runner or a free runner in that you're running from one side of the screen to the other. You're fixed on the left side of the screen and stuff scrolls from right to left at you. Now with Jetpack Joyride, it's just one long, 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 long hallway. Well, if you're lucky, it's one long hallway. If you're not so lucky, it goes kind of quickly. Punch Quest is a little different in that you can jump with your left thumb on the iPad being uh, the main thing here, and you can punch on the right spot. There actually are two big squares on the bottom of the iPad to tell you where to jump and where to punch. And you can actually hold it very comfortably and jump up and down and punch things as you're running like mad down this long, long, long winding pathway. But unlike Jetpack Joyride, you actually can have branching paths. You can earn new pathways and go up or down or go into caves or go to fight big glowing dinosaur heads as a big guy who has a laser gun. Wait a minute, Joe, you just said you could punch things. Yes, you can actually get power-ups and shoot things with laser guns and, and still punch skeletons and, and things. Oh, it's just it's awesome. But, but to give you back up a second, you can earn points. You can spend points on neat, cool hats that give you new abilities. You can earn super moves, and uh, these moves allow you to do even more devastation at one particular time. Um, you can actually do a bit more by adding things to the game, like certain power-ups will always be persistent, which is really nice. Basically, everything that we liked about Jetpack Joyride, but up so much more. You can do so many more things. You still have missions that you have to accomplish. You do have an ending, so if you reach level 50 in the game, it kind of restarts the missions over again and gives you new things and also raises the prices on everything. So if you haven't bought anything or if you haven't bought all the things you want to buy, try not to level up because you will have to spend more for them once when you've leveled up uh, and ended the game. Uh, There is a new ability to double your money. That costs... Uh, Real-world money is about $1.99, but you can make 99-cent donations, or you can purchase money in the game with real-world money, so you can actually buy things faster. So if you're not getting the power-ups that you want, 
you can actually purchase them with real-world in-app payments to get you through the game faster. I actually played a version of the game before it updated that actually rewarded you for giving them a donation, and I got a lot of really cool stuff that isn't there anymore, so I'm glad I jumped on this game really early. For the most part, the game has black or dark backgrounds, so you can always see your character fairly well. You can customize your character and change his coloring to make him brighter. And the menus are really bold, easy to see white letters on darker backgrounds. Um, and of course, like I said, you can see your character in the background. You can see what you're going to punch. And he's always in a fixed space, so you don't have to worry about where did my guy go or what's coming at me. You can learn a lot of it and memorize it. And again, it's free. Ha ha ha. But to get some of the really cool stuff, they do ask that you make some in-app purchases. That's Punch Quest, my new awesome favorite game of the month on iPad by Rocket Cat Games. Now we are back and going to jump into the mailbag where you, the listener, lets us know what your thoughts are by sending us emails to resources at serotalk.com. And, unfortunately, Jeremy was forced to have to drift out of this recording so that he could catch his ride and not be stranded on the streets at night. So it will be just me and Joe. May we have the first message, please. In order to successfully travel to new places, one must be somewhat forward-thinking and be willing to do the research about the city or country one intends to go. This includes finding lodging close to dining, transportation alternatives in the city or country. In the case of traveling to a different country, it is all about learning their customs and culture. My motto is, if I get lost, I have a mouth. If I don't use it, whose fault is it? There are still places I would like to see. However, I can say having seen most of the country through visiting or having lived there, one gets out of any experience in a new place what one puts into it. If we as visually impaired consumers want to be treated equally, we have to be willing to integrate ourselves rather than expect everything to be handed to us in a condescending manner. Pam Francis that's an interesting email, Pam. Um, I don't get to travel outside the United States nearly as much as Jeremy. This would have been a good one for him because he does site village and things like that. But uh, where do you come down on getting assistance at the airport, Rodney? Do you ask for assistance or do you try to go alone and adventure Indiana Jones it to the gate? What's an airport? <laughs> hey, I hate flying. I, I only have to go there for work-related situations. But I, I, I've I, only, fl- I, I've only I, flown one time, and that was just a local flying one propeller all the way for two or three hours. You know that kind yeah. of thing. But I haven't flown commercially <laughs> yeah. whatsoever. Model jumpers, the worst. Yeah, it was a Volkswagen I, um, with a wings. You know, <laughs> <laughs> no thing, and a lawnmower for an engine. No, thank you. Precisely, um, I rely on the individuals to escort me back and forth. And I will explain why it gets into my good ambassador philosophy. I don't always want to sit in a wheelchair because, well, you know, six foot one and I'm 240 pounds and I probably don't want that poor little girl to throw her back out, pushing me up some ramp. So I usually go sighted guide or I follow or trail somebody behind because I'm a cane user and honest to goodness, that's available for me and I will let them take me to the gate without even batting my fake eye because especially if I'm happy to make a jump from one plane to another, it is much easier, especially if you're in like Phoenix or good grief, the Lego airport in Denver where there are like 92 gates. Sometimes letting the other plane know that you need uh, assistance means that they'll hold up a little bit 
in order for you to get there. They won't pull away and fly away because you didn't ask for help. So it's up to the individual whether they want to do that or not, but it's great to know that there are places that can ask for assistance or go to assistance. You can ask the Skycap for assistance. You can ask for assistance on Amtrak. Uh, You might want to call ahead on Greyhound. A lot of hotels usually have someone, especially in the major chains, that might be aware of what the needs of individuals are who need access. That can help you out a great deal. And honest, I ask people questions when I'm in that situation because they know the local area. They might know good restaurants. They might know so much more stuff without me having to actually go looking for it. Like if I want pizza that night, I'll just ask the guy who's showing me my room, hey, what's a good pizza place around here? What do you guys order when you guys want pizza? And that's kind of a good you know rule of thumb that I have. But she's absolutely right. You know, don't be afraid. It's great to get out and see things and be a part of things and explore and learn a lot about different cultures because different cultures have different attitudes towards those with low vision or no vision, especially when you go over, you know, to Japan or further out. Um, it's a totally different world and it's very interesting. Okay, let's head off to message number two. Many years ago, I served on a jury in Tampa, Florida. I had been through the jury pool a couple of times and knew a little of what to expect. I did not expect to be accepted. In this particular session, I adopted a gentleman who was sitting near me asking on our breaks if he would assist me in a cafeteria setting, etc. Even though I had a little vision, I carried a folding cane cradled in an unobtrusive fashion over the top of my purse. I have the vision to follow another person without issue as long as they remain close in front. Within a jury session, each attorney has the ability to excuse prospective jurors for any number of reasons, be they bias, or any given mannerism, etc. The judge also has the ability to excuse prospective jurors. Ironically, I was chosen to serve on a trial of an airline pilot who had gotten a DUI. During the trial we had to watch the video of the sobriety test he was given. There were also a few things written on a chalkboard across the room. I was allowed to discreetly ask my adopted fellow juror to read them to me during the course of the trial. When it was over, deliberations were done, and the verdict read I thanked the judge for allowing me to serve. My children were young. I could have gotten out of it. However, it was an experience I will never forget. So it was a pilot that was pulled over... For a DUI, hmm, at least it wasn't mm-hmm. flying. <laughs> Who's going to go after him this time? He was on the way time? to the airport. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who's going to um, go after him this time? Yeah. Maybe the other lawyer thought, well, maybe he can't see him kind of uh, wavering back and forth or that his feet weren't on the line. But, you know, you would have the ability to say that I heard him slur thief a little bit when he was talking. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's interesting, though. That was a, uh, and that email came to us from a question from a couple episodes back about uh, had anybody ever been in a jury trial, and that was wonderful. That was great to hear. And by the way, thank you, Maury, for actually doing kind of the vocals here. She actually uh, digitized these emails for us, so uh, Maury contributed to the episode, even though she's not with us today. Yeah, my my wife does uh, mediations for the court system here in Raleigh, and. She's pointed out that 
when she's doing mediations because she doesn't see she picks up a lot of what people say and how they say it. And she's been able to point it out to people after the fact and say, you know, that guy really didn't seem on the up and up. It seemed like he wasn't quite up front with us and probably isn't going to follow through on what he agreed to. So usually it pans out that way. And now the final message. Hello, high contrast crew. I'm a longtime Sierra talk listener. And I'm glad to have a show dedicated to low vision users as well. I upgraded from the iPad 2 to the iPad 3 because of its 5MP camera. I experimented with a number of free and paid digital magnifier apps, but ended up just using the native camera app. The iPad is quite cumbersome to hold steadily either over a page or up to a distant target. I find that the best method for me is to stabilize the iPad long enough to take a good snapshot and then go into the photo and video viewer, where I can pinch to zoom and pan around the photo without having to hold the iPad up to or above something at the same time. The iPad has replaced my digital magnifier for tasks involving bits of information such as addresses and phone numbers I need to copy. I snap a shot of the text and then can put the iPad down next to the PC while I write the information in or I can save the photo for a later reference with attached notes via an app like Evernote. Regards, Simon Krischer. I think we all pretty much try numerous ways to do magnification and sometimes that internal app does uh, do what you need it to, you know, as opposed to some like Vision Assist or one of the other site tech apps that we've talked about before. And he has a collector's item as well, an iPad 3. You know, the good news is that the iPad, that, cam- uh, the iPad 4's camera isn't that much better than the one you have. So you lucked out there. You don't have to worry about uh, looking forward to a better camera in the iPad. I heard um, David Byrne, who used to be with the Talking Heads, was performing in Houston. And uh, he said that it was okay for you to use iPhones and stuff to record him. But he preferred that you not use your iPads because of the reflective back in his head. You know, lights go out and reflect off those iPads back into his face and stuff. And he goes, it's like a sea of mirrors. And uh, Oh, no, that's fine. <laughs> I think it's interesting because there are people who are comfortable in that situation. Because you could kind of prop your arms up on the seat to be able to hold the iPad for something like that. And that's no different than some of the larger video magnifiers. I'm thinking of some of the ones that are like eight inch or, or 10 inch screens and it costs like 1500 bucks. They're hard to hold for long periods of time too. Some of them have stands and um, it really just depends on what you're looking to do with the device. And if it's working for you, like Rodney said, that's awesome. And it's great to be able to have so much choice. Now this is where the iPad though does beat the Nexus seven in that the Nexus seven only has a front facing camera for Google Hangouts. So you don't have a rear-facing camera. If you're looking to do something like what was just mentioned in this email or what we talked about before in taking pictures and magnifying them, uh, especially in taking uh, pictures of text, the front-facing camera of the Nexus 7 is not as powerful as the front or rear-facing cameras of the... Well, I think it's comparable to the iPad one, but uh, it's definitely not as good as a 5-megapixel camera on the back of the iPad. So that might actually be something in your favor. The iPad mini is actually not that big a difference from the iPad 2 on the camera front either. But one consolation for the iPad mini is the fact that the back is actually black, so it would be non-reflective when using it at a concert. <laughs> or or you have to get one of those really expensive uh, covers or uh, sleeves or anything like that. 
But, you know, then you would just have a lot of people using that zebra one. Oh, my God, that thing is so ugly. Yeah, I'm using one from, uh, where did I get this one? Uh, Marware that is pretty much all black. So you don't even notice that it's an iPad, which is a good thing. But anyway. Makes you wonder why you spent all that money on all that branding. (laughs) You're just going to put something over the logo. I do not want scratches. Thank you very much. Uh Uh-huh. And my iPhone 5 is sitting in a OtterBox because everyone is saying that it chips and scrapes and scratches like crazy. It's so, so. light and durable. That's why I'm going to put it in 50 pounds of OtterBox plastic. It's awesome. But I can drop it from my hand and it still works. There you go. It just works. Well, as always, we greatly appreciate your feedback for our mailbag segment. If you would like to drop us a note, you can do that by emailing resources at serotalk.com. You can send iReports via iBlink Radio on iOS and Android. And as always, we must thank our wonderful guest. Thanks to Jeremy Curry of GWMicro.com. You can find him on Twitter at Jeremy underscore Curry. Thanks to Ranger Joe Steinkamp, who is at Ranger Station on Twitter. Like you probably don't know that because he's on numerous podcasts. And thanks to Mari Hill for helping prep some of the show ideas for this episode. Unfortunately, her technical glitches will cause her not to be in this episode. You can find her great work over at AISquared.com slash blog for the zoomed in musings that she puts out. And I am Rodney Edgar of TechAccessWeekly.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Rodney Edgar. And as always, thank you for listening. And this has been High Contrast on SPN.